0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is trainer Chip Richie. I am joined, as always, by my co host Azul GG, and we've got a ton to talk about this week. We'll be talking a little bit about cheating in the Pokemon TCG. It's been a hot topic the past week or so, so we'll be talking about cheating gameplay errors how those things are defined by pokemon and how you can best look out for an opponent who may be trying to take advantage of a situation in one of your games a little bit of an update around laic the latin american international championships we've got a date but not much more info besides that when it comes to the travel awards and stipends so we'll talk about that a little bit we've of course got some tournament results to look at the champions league Events that happened in Yokohama, Japan, the Singapore Regional League tournament that happened over in Singapore. These events did have Lost Origin legal and they certainly will have an impact on the Peoria Regional Championships, which are happening this coming weekend. We'll of course have, guess that, Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment. And then we will be doing A Meta Forecast for the Peoria Regional Championships, giving our thoughts on some of the top decks, the new cards, the new archetypes, and how all these other events that have already happened in other parts of the world will impact the tournament this weekend. Lots to (laughs) talk about, Azul, plenty to go on. But before we get into it, what's going on, man? How you doing? How's your week been?
1: (laughs) Doing pretty good. Uh, I am uh, up north uh, in the Midwest, for a wedding, and I'm staying here for the week until Peoria Regional is coming up this weekend. Um, so a little bit uh, lack on the content as far as my YouTube and stream go. Um, so getting kind of a, a little bit of a break weekend, I guess. Grinding a lot of Pokemon leading up to the the regional championships, though. So I'm still working uh, and still being able to do some uh, coaching remotely as well. So keeping up with uh, keeping up with all that. But uh, yeah, been having a, a ton of fun playing with the new cards and. Um, yeah, looking forward to the first tournament with uh with Lost Origins. How about you, Chip? It's Lost
0: Origin once again. Let's not lost forget. Origin, lost origin. <laughs> You'll get it right I, one of know, these days.
1: A, there was a, I saw a tweet. Uh, one of the PTCGO or PTCG, I think it was PTCG Live. Uh, Whoever posts in the forums, they mess it up too. They put lost origins instead of lost origin when they're like, it's gonna be released. or oh, whatever. We surprised, Some
0: Are we surprised? <laughs>
1: well, no. It's so hard because like why would you say, like it feels like it shouldn't stop? You shouldn't say lost origin. It feels like there should it should say lost origins.
0: But it is the yeah. singular origin, the origin of yeah. of all, right? So there's only one origin. I guess. Right? Maybe. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I But my week's been pretty good. Uh, (laughs) uh, This past weekend, baby Sam became one month old. They grow up so fast. But uh, yeah, it's been a good, really kind of an uneventful week, to be honest, besides that, which has been nice. Uh, Just kind of relaxing, getting into the... Swing of parenting life and, uh, you know, getting back home after traveling last weekend or the previous weekend, I guess, to that to Baltimore and just chilling um until, you know, whatever else we got going on through the rest of the season. But let's go ahead and kick it off with our first topic today, which is cheating in the Pokemon TCG. Now, this is something that's come up big time. We talked about a couple of different things on last week's episode of issues that occurred on the live stream after our episode aired there was more and more things that came out it really was it seemed like every single day this week on pokemon tcg twitter there was some new big thing that was happening that people were talking about in regards to cheating and um gameplay errors and all those things going on so we just wanted to spend a little bit of time in this episode talking about cheating in card games How people try to do it, um, and also how it is defined by Pokemon, maybe the difference between making a gameplay error and cheating. This is something Azul and I have talked about on the podcast before, but it is definitely a prevalent issue right now, so we wanted to just bring it up again. And uh, we'll also talk about, you know, if you are worried that your opponent may be cheating, what are some ways that you can try to prevent that and mitigate that, um, or what you should do in those situations if you believe foul play is afoot. So... Azul, difference between gameplay errors and cheating. Why don't you break it down for us?
1: So there is a difference, and I'll go a little bit more in depth on to – I'll go on like a little bit of a uh, rant here in a second about like <laughs> my, my overall thoughts on like how the community currently perceives, you know, cheating versus uh, – uh, I guess – I mean, because they're both gameplay errors, like a mistake versus cheating. So um, – they both involve making an error in the game, right? Like attaching a second energy card when you can't, or playing a second supporter, um, something like that. Uh, But the difference is cheating implies that there's malicious intent. You, You played the second supporter on purpose, right? Like you went out of your way to be like, I've already played a supporter for turn, but if I can get away with playing a second supporter for turn, I'm gonna try and do that. Whereas a mistake would be like, I played a research and then you play out the rest of your turn and you're like, uh boss's orders is really good right here i'm gonna go boss cat like, right, i'm gonna play this boss as well and the opponent's like whoa you can't do that you played research you're like, oh you're right i already played research all right boss back continue game right you just messed up you made a mistake and sometimes the board state does progress too far past of being like whoa you you can't do that sometimes you're like play a research uh play a I don't know an avery play a bunch of cards and then your opponent's like wait you just played two supporters three actions ago and then the game state's broken um if it can't be reversed you know then it's probably going to be a game loss which is fine right like that's what happens uh the difference is did you play the avery knowing you're playing a second supporter or did you just well play the avery because you forgot you had already played a supporter and that's like the that's kind of the the line right there's there's making a mistake uh and then there's there's cheating right and those those are the that's we have to figure out and that's what You know, ideally we want none of, we don't want any cheating, but the the mistakes are always going to happen, right? People are just going to play two supporters by accident, attach two energy or, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like another one, misput damage counters in play or something like that, right? Those mistakes are just going to happen.
0: Drawing extra Um, cards.
1: Yeah, drawing extra cards. Those things are always going to happen. The biggest thing we want to do is just make sure that when they are happening, they're just mistakes and no one's doing them on purpose.
0: So we wanted to take a second and just kind of go through the Pokemon uh tournament rules handbook because it very clearly outlines a lot of different scenarios and situations and how penalties are assessed in these various situations so i'll just read through all of these it is on page 49 of the uh pokemon tournament rules handbook you can just google this it is publicly available for anyone to see and most judges are pretty familiar with this the guidelines here and everything going on um so this is under section 7.3.2.1 gameplay error. TCG gameplay errors are so-called because they are infractions committed during the context of a game in progress. They often come about because of a missed or ill-executed ex- game mechanic. Minor gameplay errors have little to no effect on the progress of the game and can be fixed or reround completely with little effort. Many genuine mistakes made during a TCG match begin life as a minor gameplay error, and they may be reclassified as major if they are not caught and rectified immediately. Examples may include putting a card into the hand without revealing it to the opponent when it effect specifies, you must do so. So maybe playing a quick ball or ultra ball and putting that card into your hand right away before revealing it. Declaring an attack without having the required energy attached. Or failing to set up prize cards at the beginning of the game. So these are all minor gameplay errors. And the recommended starting penalty for a minor gameplay error as outlined in the guidebook is a warning. So you would not... uh, While a warning is a penalty, you're not getting, you know, super penalized in terms of a double prize card loss immediately. Now what I will say is at regional championships... Whenever a warning is issued, it is documented, and so if someone was to receive multiple warnings for trying to do these things multiple times, like not revealing the Pokemon they took off Quick Ball multiple times through the course of an event, eventually these penalties would get escalated up to a major, which would be double prize card loss, something like that. Any thoughts? You want to interject, Azul? Before I go on to the major um, gameplay errors
1: i think with you bringing that up all right this is a there was a tweet from stefan that i did want to bring up i think this would be a perfect time to bring that up actually so i'll read stefan's uh because i had kind of a different perspective on this until stefan made this tweet and i do definitely agree with stefan uh after he made this tweet, and i kind of read it um so stefan made this tweet before baltimore regionals i think And i'll just read through the whole thread real fast here from stefan um, here we go uh, Since it's the start of the season here's a reminder for both new and returning players don't be afraid to call a judge I've decided to do it more often this season and here's why and why I encourage you to do so as well, so your opponent tries to attach an energy, but they already attached one this turn you catch it sorry my bad they say no problem you think uh, you think and don't call a judge it's likely that it was just an honest mistake. Everyone gets nervous. But if no one calls a judge in this situation, then someone who wants to cheat could try attaching extra energy sometimes. If they get caught, since you don't call a judge, they get no penalty. If they don't get caught, free energy. So they're likely to try. So they're more likely to try. By calling a judge, you help protect the community, including yourself, from a cheater. Uh, from cheaters, if your opponent made an honest mistake, they'll get a warning. If it turns out they've tried the same thing the last three rounds, they'll get penalized. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense, right? Yes. Um, but judges can all, uh, but judges can only know that a player tried to attach an every attach an energy every round if their opponents notify them when it happens. So don't be afraid to call a judge if anything happens: extra draw, mulligan with a basic in hand, etc., including. Uh, versus well-known players, it doesn't mean you're accusing your opponent of cheating. It's a way to protect yourself and your fellow players. I haven't done it enough in the past, but I want to correct that. So um, in the past, I kind of disagreed with this take initially because I always was kind of like, well, if the players can just resolve it amongst themselves, I'm not trying to get, get my opponent any kind of penalties for you know then by actually attaching an extra energy if i catch it immediately but i think there is some there's there is some uh value to doing what stefan says for sure and i think i will start to do that as well um i'm not going to call a judge if my opponent ever sees an extra card or draws an extra card if i can identify the card um and i trust uh and i trust that my opponent didn't try and like move the card around or whatever because that would lead to a two prize penalty and you can't uh you can't decline a prize penalty. Correct. So because you can't decline a prize penalty, if you think your opponent very much mistakenly drew an extra card or saw the top card of their deck, if you do draw over, call over a judge in that situation, they will be penalized, and I'm trying to beat my opponent in a game of Pokemon, right? So if I think they honestly... Um, Had made the mistake of drawing an extra card and I can identify that card in their head if they drew six off of Marty eight off of Research. If I can be like, nope, you drew an eighth card that's it, put on top of your deck. I'm not going to call over a judge. I don't want a two prize penalty. If they did it like four or five times throughout a match, I would probably call over a judge. Um, But I do think for stuff like like double attachments or if they go to play a second supporter, I think I agree with Stefan where it's like Normally, I wouldn't call over a judge in those situations. I'd just be like, well, you can't do that. Put it back in your hand, right? Um, But I think I will start calling over a judge for those situations because if they are trying to do it every single round, it'll it'll get documented and just kind of built up to the point where they will get that penalty that fifth, sixth time, right? So for those kind of situations, because those will just lead to warnings, uh, unless you have a lot of them, which at that point you should be penalized, I think I will start calling over a judge for sure in in those situations. I don't think if my opponent sees an extra card, though, I'm still not going to call over a judge in those situations just because – I just don't want – I don't want to get it – I don't want a two-price prize. I don't need two prize cards to try and beat my opponent in a game of Pokemon, right? Like, I'm sitting there to try and beat them in a game of Pokemon, so uh, I definitely want I mean, to share that tweet because it definitely changed my perspective.
0: But of going on with that, though, is it not kind of the same thing to call over a judge and bring attention to that? Like, you're going to be vigilant and notice if your opponent draws an eighth card off research, but not everyone – maybe will be, should you not call over, bring attention to that. And so maybe you pointing it out. Um, Cause like I, I would say 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, if someone draws a seventh card off or eighth card off research or uh sixth or fifth card off Marnie, depending on which end of it you're on, 99.9% of the time, it is a mistake. It happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. I've done it. You've done it. It's, it's going to happen, right? Um, but people can, Abuse the fact that now you know, especially now you say literally just saying this on the podcast, you know, theoretically could someone not just try to sneak in an extra card and uh, take advantage of the fact that you don't want to call a judge? Um, And it's like, okay, no harm, no foul. Azul caught me. I'm gonna put it back. But oh, maybe he doesn't catch me one of these times. You know, I think it's I think it is important. um, to bring attention to these things, because not only for the fact of anti-cheating, but also for pro, like, clean gameplay. Not yeah. necessarily cheating, but people who are just, like, we should tr- strive to make as few mistakes as possible, right? And if people start getting penalized for making mistakes, which is what happens if you, will talk about this in the major gameplay error, drawing an extra card is a major gameplay error, you do receive a two-prize penalty for that, at a regional championships, um, which can absolutely swing the flow of a game, without a doubt, like massively yeah, yeah. swings the flow of the game and potentially the outcome of the game. Um, if people start getting penalized for that, they're going to start trying to play more uh, cleanly, in the s- not in the sense of not cheating, but cleanly in the sense of like making sure they are doing every action appropriately, which I think is good, correct?
1: So I do agree with that to, ex- to an extent. One of the things I always like to bring up is like Pokemon isn't, uh, it's not like the, the Pokemon tournaments, the regional tournaments, especially because it is like hardship penalties. It's not like it's the MLB of Pokemon, right? Like Pokemon regionals are T-ball to MLB as far as the players who show up to play in these tournaments, right? So if it was just MLB, if it was just like the top 32 players from North America were playing in the North American regionals, I would be like, okay, I think that's probably fair, right? But when I'm going up against Timmy in his first regional championships and he sees an extra card, I don't want a penalty, uh, I'm, I'm there to try and beat Timmy at Pokemon, right? So if I think he honestly drew an extra card or saw an extra card and I can identify the card, I don't want a two-prize penalty to try and beat Timmy, right? Like, I want to beat them through the game at Pokemon. Like I said, if they do it three, four times throughout a match, I'm going to call a judge, right? And that's why I think there's, like, that penalty is too harsh, right? So if they if they attach a second energy, go to play a second supporter, and I catch it immediately, the game stays not broken, I think, I think I'm going to start calling over a judge in those situations for sure, right? But when it is just a uh by an extra card or draw an extra card because the penalty I think is too harsh for the um, for the the situation, for the for the mistake. I don't want I'm not gonna call over a judge for the situation still. I know I know what you're saying, but and I think it's kind of just like a bad if it was just a warning that built up into prize penalties and game losses, then I would I would do it. But I think it's just too harsh of a penalty. If they actually see the eighth yeah. card off a of research and don't even draw it, like, two prize penalties is just so ridiculously harsh for that mistake. I Like, I get what I, – I, like, it does make sense to potentially call or judge that situation, but it's just such an honest mistake almost 100% of the yeah. time, like you said. Like, it just doesn't seem like – it's just an unfair part of – the game that is being played physically in real life with the, the amount of mistakes humans can make, right?
0: And it's interesting too because drawing an extra prize card or sorry, drawing an extra card off of a researcher Marnie or something like that used to just yield a warning. But it, I don't know if you really remember the discussions around this at the time, um, but it was sometime in 2017, 2018 where it did eventually get changed to now you get a double prize penalty if you. Um, see an extra card off of uh, you know a card that you're not supposed to in one of the many various ways you draw cards from your deck, right? Yeah. Um, I was
1: actually, I think I was actually the first person to get a double prize penalty. Like <laughs> my, opponent. my opponent played like two supporters at LAIC the year I got second. Oh, to
0: receive and like to be a... the benefactor. Yeah.
1: Of a... <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the first person to be a benefit. It was round one LAIC. It was the first major tournament where that rule was in effect, and my opponent like played two supporters in uh in the first game on the first round of laic so um but yeah i remember i remember yeah when, it, when the, the discussion was initially happening uh and everything and people were like there should be and it was, the biggest thing was just trying to change up i think the ruling around seeing an extra card that was like the biggest topic of discussion it's like what should happen when that happens and they went through like a couple different iterations initially of like when you see it does it go on top or when you see it does it shuffle i think that that changed multiple times but now we're on the they see it you see it like, they show it to the opponent, and they put it back on top. I'm pretty sure it's... Maybe they shuffle? I actually don't it even shuffles. know. I don't, I don't call over a judge when my opponent sees an extra card, so I actually don't
0: know the the result of the the penalty. It does shuffle, I am pretty sure. It did used okay. to be reveal and replace, but I think it was determined that, you know, if I do something and, you know, no, I, I, you can make plays based on knowing what your top deck is going to be next turn. Or yeah, there's, you know, in certain formats, like, what if... Uh, what if i draw yeah what if i draw um my crowbat i have six cards in my hand i have a crowbat and i know what my card on the top is i can just dark asset for Pro one for if one. i know it's the <laughs> the exact card i need right it's the hit yes so yeah.
1: yeah so there definitely is ways to abuse it and cheat around it right but i think the penalty is too harsh for like, like you said 99 percent of the time it's a mistake i don't want two prize cards for free when my, when 99% of the po- time that's going to happen if not almost 100% of the time it's happened against me it's been a mistake right so like i said if my opponent if i think i like if i think my opponent does it and you should too like you don't have to take my advice on this my thing is just I, i'm showing up to try and beat my game and put my opponent in a game of pokemon so my thing is like i think the penalty is way too harsh for that very easy mistake to happen uh, but if you think your opponent did it maliciously or if they do it you know 3 to 4 times in a match at some point you should call over a judge you know if it happens a third time, you should probably be like, alright, I'm calling over a judge on this one, I let the first two slide but at this point it's getting ridiculous um, or if you think they were malicious with it, if you think they were malicious with it, then I would also call over a judge but I have yet to play against anyone who I think has ever maliciously drawn an extra card or see, by accidentally, or maliciously looked at the top card of their deck, so I have yet to call over a judge for someone for it, but uh, I definitely could happen, you know, in my time playing the game for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean I do want to be careful on the podcast with like, I, I don't think anyone should feel bad to call over a judge in these instances because you're well within your rights to do so. I guess, you know, maybe you let it be a read the room type of moment. Like Azul said, if he's playing against little Timmy round one at his first Pokemon tournament and he doesn't want to just like crush his dreams by, you know, (laughs) calling a judge and giving him a harsh penalty at the very beginning, right? Like maybe make it a read the room type situation. But I think, you know, once you get into the upper rounds of tournaments, I mean, even, I don't know, to me, I, I feel like a penalty, uh, making. I, I feel like we're at a point in the game where things are getting bigger, more and more people are getting into the game, and like there's so much money on the line at these events, not just at the, you know, prize payout level, but at like the stipends, travel awards. There's so much on the line and at stake. Um, I don't think I would ever fault anyone for calling a judge. And I would still recommend that people, you know, should call a judge over if their opponent. Yeah, I mean, just for the sake of, um, you know, consistency throughout the entirety of the event.
1: Yeah, I never, I've never fault anyone for calling. That's just kind of my take on it. Like, I feel like the penalty is too harsh for. And, and I don't yeah, disagree I that. I mean, it
0: is, is extremely horrible. harsh. It is extremely, extremely harsh. But it is, if if abused, it is an incredibly beneficial thing. Getting an extra card is like. Would be broken. Imagine every single card eye. that says draw cards and you just add one more to it. It would What's make it one? broken, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, now after you said that, now i are going to have to count my opponent's hand every time they play a Marnie <laughs> or a Research at or now that you like brought that up. <laughs> now it's going to be in the back of my head. You right, brought up, it like...
0: up, bro. You could broadcast <laughs> to everyone. You're not calling a judge.
1: <laughs> I'm screwed.
0: <laughs> but let's let's read back. Let's, let's get back to the, the guidelines here and just kind of walk through the rest of things. So that was kind of through the minor gameplay errors, now on to major gameplay errors. And major gameplay errors do result in a double prize card penalty, meaning in order to win the game, if your opponent receives a double prize card penalty, you have... So, like, if your opponent makes a mistake, they receive a double prize card penalty. That means you have to take two less prizes to win the game. All right. Yep. Major gameplay errors result in some irreversible confusion to the game state that cannot be completely reround or otherwise offset through corrective action. Errors that result in a player gaining illicit access to knowledge or cards that require a substantial level of involvement by a judge to rectify or that have remained unnoticed for long enough to have influenced gameplay may be classified as major. Examples include drawing an extra card, taking a prize card without knocking out a Pokemon, or taking too many prize cards after knocking out a Pokemon, using and completing all effects of an ability when a card in play prevents its use, attaching more than one energy card in a turn without the use of an effect that allows this, failing to set up prize cards at the beginning of the game, resulting in potential access to six additional cards throughout one or two deck searches. So those are the examples that they lay out for major gameplay errors, which once again will result in a double prize penalty. Yeah. Then... So, yeah.
1: Yeah. What I was gonna say is, yeah, I mean, those all make sense. Like, when a game state is irreversible, then it's like, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to. And if it gets so bad, then it just becomes a game loss at some point. <laughs> <If> it's completely. <laughs> uh, nothing can happen about it, nothing can change.
0: And the rulings around this as well, like. Um judges always i think have the leeway to like escalate or de-escalate penalties as they see fit which i think can be a good and bad thing it can be a read the room situation right with little timmy at their first pokemon tournament who in round seven is at table you know 382 or something right you know um who's just playing enjoying the game you know do you want to be giving that person a double prize card penalty for drawing an eighth card off research a seemingly by mistake when they have zero um issues previous to that Probably not. So I think that's a situation where people can I I, I want to I'm pretty sure that judges can escalate and de escalate, but I think that can be a little bit of a confusing thing as well because it lacks consistency when that's the case. But it yeah. it also is kind of a thing where each situation is unique. So should they lack consistency or should it just be more flat, streamlined across the board?
1: Um I mean Probably overall, I think it should be. I mean, they should definitely be able to escalate if you have previous penalties, right? Right, right. Um, and one thing more I would mention to this, if you ever disagree with a judge's ruling, you can always call the head judge. Um, always. Always call the head judge. I actually made this mistake. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I made this mistake at Worlds actually this year where me and my opponent were set up for our round. Um, and... I had a good start i was going first and then they come over to us it was round three i think and they're like you guys are going to be on stream you're going to be the lunch break stream round and i was like okay so do we just carry the game over to the stream and the guy was like no and i was like are you sure and he was like yes and i was like okay and then we picked up But that's not the ruling we should have taken our game and carried it over to the stream but i didn't call the head judge so if i, I did that judge,
0: happened
1: yeah if i called the head judge have got to good start going first but instead went second with a (laughs) mediocre start so always call over the head judge if you think the ruling is wrong i was like i'm pretty sure this is wrong so i was like are you sure they were like yes so i just went with it but i should have called over the head judge because i definitely had that happen before and i've carried my match over to the stream but it was a while ago so i was like maybe the rulings have changed so i was like okay sure i guess we have to just reset up on the stream so always call over a head judge if you think the judge who is currently giving you a ruling is incorrect and they are not the head judge <laughs> always just go go call for a head judge if you think they're wrong um or if you think um like if you think the penalty is just a, kind of unjustified for the situation because that might be what it normally is but if you feel like the the situation can be resolved or reversed in a way that would be adequate and you shouldn't receive a penalty you can you know state your case and you'll see what the see what the head judge gives you if you do really want a second opinion on the uh on the situation. So always remember that.
0: So one thing also to mention here is that judges will always try to salvage the game state, right? Even if it's not a perfect fix, as long as it is like very close to where things were, they will try to make it happen. So I have a good, story of something that happened to me at a tournament that actually is around this and this was in 2018 so i'd imagine some rules have maybe slightly changed since that time frame but i was playing in day two um against peter kika who's a very good and successful player he got second place at a regionals this year i believe it's a caucus regionals um and he was playing a night march lucario deck Lucario GX, very, you know, Peter's very known for playing Night March and he just decided to cram Lucario in there that weekend. <laughs> and I was playing Pikachu Zekrom, which is probably the reason that he chose to cram Lucario GX in his his Night March deck. But um I played a Zurketry GX in my deck, which was very good against the heavily specially special energy reliant Night March deck. Um pretty much my win condition in the matchup was to attack with Zurketry, try to knock out Riolus before they could become Lucario's and hope that he maybe prized some of his you know basic fighting energies and stuff like that it was kind of a bad matchup for me but uh, Zerkatri is not usually something you're attacking within that deck so I had not used it very much up to this point in the tournament Its attack does 100 damage. Do you know what its attack does, Azul, off the top of your head? Yeah, 100 damage,
1: and then discard the top card of your opponent's deck. So
0: are you seeing where the issue maybe has arisen here? (laughs) Uh, Peter and I both forgot about the discard the top card of your opponent's deck effect. And it was one of the situations where um, we did it, and then he started playing his turn. And then partway through his turn, I leaned over and looked at my Zirka tree, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to have discarded a card. And he was like, oh, yeah, you were supposed to have discarded a card. (laughs) And it was like, well, what do we want to do? And so we called over a judge and they Peter had like already played his supporter. Like it was pretty backwards. And so what judges try to do in these spots is they rewind it as much as they can to try to get the game state as close to what it should be. So basically they were able to identify he played research for turn. These cards should be in his hand. These are the cards he drew off of research. Let's put them back into the deck. Boom, boom, boom. Rewind it as much as possible. Shuffle his deck. He is at the start of his turn. And now the deck is shuffled. We'll discard a random card off the top. And now Peter draws a card and starts his turn. So that's what ended up happening. Um, I do think we actually just got a warning for that. Um, So that is what makes me think this occurred before this most recent update. Because I think by you know standards here one or both of us should have received a double prize penalty probably me because it is my card i guess um but we just got a warning and that could have been a situation of the judge reading the room as well of being like was a mistake and it was able to be fixed i think pretty much all the way um it's obviously not perfect because theoretically the card that got shuffled uh is different than the card that would have been discarded right off the top of his deck Oh yeah, cuz it wasn't perfect as well because they had to rewind it to before his research and they had to shuffle his hand and put a card on top of his deck because it was like we don't know what the card was he top decked. Um so it like was not a it was far from a perfect fix, but um yeah. but yeah, that's like a good example of how these things can from a minor issue escalate to a situation where the game state is not really the same as it would be but they try to get it as close right as it was before Yeah, I think
1: Yeah, when it would like almost end up in like a double game loss, they're just like, "All right, well, if we can just get it close, then you guys just still play one game, yes. right?" Or like double prize penalty, just get it as close as possible. Which yeah, it's cool to see more of that. Like the the not only do the players want to be playing Pokemon, the judges also want you to be playing as much Pokemon as possible. So they don't just want to like have to go to like, you know, round 1 of the tournament starts and then they give double game loss to half the players in the room or something right (laughs) and so
0: (laughs) whenever whenever things cannot be rewound to a certain point that is when severe gameplay errors come into play which is the last final step here severe gameplay errors result in an irretrievably broken game state such that a judge cannot reasonably be expected to restore it to a point where it can continue without compromising the integrity of that game to an unacceptable extent. So basically once things are just past the point of no return. Some examples may include shuffling the hand, prize cards, or discard pile into the deck into the deck without the use of a card effect. Um, I've seen this happen before where players are searching their discard pile, uh during a search and then they think they're done with their search and they pick up their discard pile and shuffle it into their deck like i've seen that happen before (laughs) uh just kind of like a brain fart moment right so and that would be a situation of i've put my whole discard pile into the deck we at that point it is unretrievable because you cannot maybe if it's early enough you could remember exactly what cards were discarded if both players agreed but Um, another example is retrieving or putting away cards from a game in progress before the match slip is signed to show that both players agree on the outcome and then the final one is failing to set up prize cards at the beginning of the game resulting in potential access to six additional cards for three or more deck searches so not realizing that you've forgotten to set your prizes Uh, once you've searched the deck. So that's kind of an interesting one that they list in both sections, right? In the major gameplay error, it's if you've searched the deck one or two times, but if you searched it three or more times, that becomes a severe gameplay error.
1: Interesting, yeah. I actually do the, the the one where they, without even knowing that, like, that was a penalty, like, I actually don't pick up my side of the field until this, the match is signed. I didn't even, like, I didn't even know that was, like, in there for this <laughs> year. But I don't actually pick up my cards until the match is signed. Like, if my opponent says, all right, I'll concede, uh, if we're in game three, and they're all all right, I concede. Um, I won't pick up my cards until the match is signed. But I never even thought like I didn't even like think that was a penalty. I didn't even know.
0: Yeah, I've heard stories <laughs> before uh, in the instance why this may be in here. I've I've heard stories before of, um, players you know, picking up like the game finishes, they pick up their games and then they go to sign the match slip. And then a player is like, Oh, what are you talking about? I won both of those games. And then someone's like, no, we tied. I won one. You won one. And the guy's like, no, I won both of them. And so at that point it becomes a question of, you know, he said, he said, she said, they said, whatever. And, um, I don't even know what a judge does in that situation (laughs) to be honest, because it's like, there's not, And so that's why I think this is in here probably as a severe gameplay error. They probably would just both get a game loss at that point if the players can't agree on who won the match, which is kind of silly to say. Um, so that's yeah. a good thing to remember to do. Sign the match slip before... You, you put your, your cards, cards away and then also check yeah. the on the match slip for anyone who's not played in a Pokemon tournament before there is a box next to each game on both players sides. So the way a match slip is laid out, you've got a player's name, player A's name, player B's name, and then game one, game two, game three in the middle of the, the, the slip. And then next to game one, there's a box on either side of game one next to a player. So if you win game one, check that little box with a pen or pencil, whatever you've got there, so that it is, you know, written down, set in stone. I did indeed win this game. Um, Yeah, that's not something I
1: that's not something i do i should probably do that one as well (laughs) i don't remember to do that one at all
0: i will also say Uh, it's helpful to me as a caster when i'm walking around looking at tables and i'm trying to see what game people are in or what the stakes are at the game they're in like if they need to win this one if they're you know maybe in a situation where they can play to the tie whatever it might be if like time is like almost up uh depending on how many who who's won the game right game one or what game they're in so uh yeah but it's definitely just good practice to be in so that none of these situations can occur because I've heard stories of them happening as I'm sure Azul has has as well.
1: Yeah, i definitely heard it before. Um, where, sometimes the players are getting, and sometimes, yeah, you never know what um, what players could be doing, trying to do to get an advantage. So, you know, protect yourself in, in those regards for sure. Um, <clears throat> the last thing I want to talk about, and we actually have like a... So we talked about a couple cheating thing, not cheating things, uh, mistakes happening on stream last week from Baltimore region. Another one has come to light, uh, in since last week. Um, and I don't want to talk about it in terms of, did they cheat? Did they not cheat? Um, uh, the thing I mainly wanted to kind of talk about was, um, the idea of when, you know, you do see someone make a gameplay error. Um, and the bigger ones, of course, always come up when it's on stream. Right. Um, so like this one was specifically, I don't remember which round this was, um, it was like maybe round 13, 14?
0: Uh, round
1: um, 14. Round 14. It was Jeremy versus uh, Tanner. And uh, Jeremy definitely insufficient insufficiently shuffled their deck after a Rotom Phone use. And I actually I don't think Jeremy cheated. I think it was an honest mistake um, for the situation. Um, the, the thing I want to kind of talk about is how it feels like the community has become a little bit toxic towards the you know when stuff like this happens on stream it feels like a lot of people jump to um using the word cheating or calling them a cheater right which i think it should be and i think in on the flip side of that i think too many people get uh so it's it becomes a little hostile on both sides where people use those words uh and make those assumptions Uh, and then on the other side people immediately are kind of a little bit hostile and towards of defending the player, um, that they just made a mistake, you're wrong, whatever. What I think it should we should definitely be able to have a discussion about what happened, right? Like what actually happened in those matches or the scenarios that happening specifically on stream, they're gonna come up way more often than not, right? Um, that's where we'll be able to everyone will be able to see it and be able to talk about it. So I think it should be able to be discussed. And this one specifically uh, was brought to light i guess on twitter by michael catron i think uh catron's post on twitter was actually pretty good right to just kind of didn't call jeremy a cheater uh just literally said what happened wrote him phone uh at 3:23 on the match timer jeremy uh keeps a boss on top of his deck while shuffling versus tanner hurley confirmed by ab played at 31 51 to draw a tablet which he took off the phone and boss which he kept on top of his deck right
0: and if you watch the terrain. video, I've got it up here for the people who are watching on YouTube. Um, if you watch the video at the point I'm at now, you can see he's put the boss on top of the deck and now is shuffling, and the top card never changes. It's a pretty poor shuffle, which in yeah. the rule book is known as insufficient randomization.
1: Yeah, and then after that, puts the tablet that they got from Rotofone on top, uses A B, draws into the tablet, and the... The boss, plus another card, I don't know if the other card is, the other card's not relevant, um, uses the tablet, gets the KO, and then uses boss next turn to win or something, right? Or they potentially need to boss to win the game next turn. So um, it looks bad. I think it's an honest mistake from Jeremy. They definitely insufficiently shoveled, so they should have been penalized for that potentially. Um, uh, and I think k post about the situation specifically was also just fine. They literally just said what happened, and I think we should be able to make those kind of posts, um, and those should be able to come up uh, you know, on Twitter or Facebook groups or whatever in the Pokemon community to be like, yo, this happened. It's definitely a gameplay error. Um, do we think it was worse more than that or less than that? I don't think we should need to jump to calling people cheaters or jump to calling, you know, calling the people out who brought it to light or there doesn't need to be like an argument. There, just, it's, there should just be a discussion, right? Should be able to discuss the the clip, um, come to terms if we think it was maybe malicious or not. You don't even have to bring up the, the words like cheater or malicious, you can keep that to yourself or take it to someone else of like higher authorities, you know, like whatever. But like, we should be able to have the discussion in not such a hostile way. Because I feel like every time there is a discussion around a clip like this, it's always super hostile. We should be able to post the clips have a discussion about it, but not have it be hostile is what I definitely what I wanted to, to say. Because we want to catch cheaters when we think people are cheating, right? So you, sometimes you need more than just your own opinion looking at a clip, and you want to bring it to light within the community, because if the person is cheating, we all want them to be caught, right? But it doesn't need to be a hostile discussion, which I think is what most of these uh, situations turn into, right? Someone posts a clip of an error being made on stream, and then it's in the comment section, it's just really hostile back and forth, right?
0: Yeah, and Jeremy did release a response, responded to this. Someone brought it up in one of the big Facebook groups, Burbank City, and Jeremy did respond and say um, uh, about shuffling, I did to the best of my ability. I had an eight-ish card deck and shuffled the best I could and even offered a cut. I had my entire turn to find the boss. I had no reason to stack it. He also consistently cut my deck throughout our entire match. I would have had no way of knowing he wouldn't cut. And then the person who asked him the question said, okay, thanks. And then Jeremy responded again and said, no problem. It was an honest coincidence and I'll be at many events to prove that. I played many great players in that event and I'm sure all of them will say there wasn't a hint of suspicion. And I will just mention what the tournament rules handbook does say about insufficient shuffling or randomization because there is a whole section to it. Section 5.7.2 insufficient randomization insufficiently randomizing the deck is a rules violation that may carry a penalty it is therefore in the interest of each player to become comfortable with a shuffling technique that is both quick and thorough there is no mention of it under any of the gameplay error sections the only mention further in the rules handbook is under the cheating section which is uh there is no penalty for cheating cheating results in disqualification from the event and the section here says there is simply no place in play pokemon for those who choose to cheat to gain an advantage over their opponent as such all instances of cheating are regarded as severe and merit disqualification examples may include intentionally drawing extra cards or taking cards from the discard pile and adding them to the deck or hand aka palming arbitrarily adjusting the special conditions or damage counters on pokemon in play so maybe trying to reduce the damage on a pokemon when your opponent's not looking stacking or deliberately randomizing the deck insufficiently to engineer greater access to a card or cards and then for vgc using a game console with custom firmware that is also listed in here because it does cover all pokemon games
1: Cheating pokemon go or is that not even
0: possible <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that people have figured out a way to do it yet but i'm sure it'll come
1: yeah so i, I do know if you read if you get a warning for random or insufficient shuffling your next warning would be a price penalty so if that would have been jeremy's first warn, first time getting a warning it would have been a warning and then warnings after that lead to price penalty. uh because i've had it myself <laughs> i've got i've gotten that one unfortunately um uh, oh no, mine was for slow play. Actually, mine was for playing for too too slow. No, mine, of mine was not insufficient shuffling. Yeah, in the pace finals of mine. Laic, no, I it's right? The with, uh, I think it's the same thing. Oh, maybe I'm incorrect on that. Then that's yeah, yeah. That's pace of play. I thought pace of play. I thought that one was insufficient shuffling. But they both might be
0: warning. Uh, no, I know. I think they and,
1: both are warning into penalty.
0: Well, the issue here um, is like it's all about intent, right? So if a judge thinks yeah, yeah, if if it's thought that you're doing it intentionally, um, then it would just be. Re- res- uh, referred to as cheating, which results in disqualification. Yeah, yeah. But if, if yeah. you're, like, playing fast at the end of your round and you just do a quick little 1-2 shuffle, present to cut that's not enough shuffling right even if you're trying to that's what i'm
1: saying so if it's not intentional you will still be penalized for it as you should right you can't even if you don't do it on purpose if you take too long like i did and you take too long again you get you know warnings into penalties same thing for uh insufficient shuffling warning into penalties on that one as well so make sure you're insufficient make sure you're playing at a proper pace and make sure you're sufficiently shuffling but like i said yeah i don't think uh jeremy uh did anything malicious here i think it's just bad bad shuffling and then you know i think he'll definitely learn from this and then most likely they'll you know do better in the future hopefully and then we can all learn from that right we should all try and you know be sufficient with our our randomization um but also be uh what did, what did the rule book say like be uh, good don't thorough thorough but efficient right thorough yes. but timely or something yeah so that's all i want to say on that yeah i think it's just like the conversations I feel like I've been getting really toxic recently. Like we should be able to have those discussions. It we should bring these these kind of clips or whatever to light because I've seen that before as well. It's like why are people always trying to start witch hunts? Um, when definitely a lot of the times when people bring up the clips, they're not trying to they're they're not specifically calling anyone cheaters or saying they're doing anything malicious. They're like okay this happened, and then it's the comment section under the clip that gets really you know nasty. And and I think it's definitely we should we need to come to understanding on both sides where it's like we should be able to bring these clips up. Um, and we just shouldn't be so toxic about it and um in the in the comments you know just like talk about it discuss it but you know no need to start calling people cheaters immediately and stuff like that
0: well we do need to move on cuz we have spent quite a bit of time in this section so let's move it along to the update around the Latin America International Championship which will be the first IC of the new season of the 2023 season and for anyone who doesn't know exactly how these events work, they are internationals. But still, the largest group of players will be the ones from that region. So in Latin America, it'll be Latin America players, Oceania, Oceania, Europe, Europeans, and then North America, North Americans, as makes sense. But they're international, so they want players from other regions to come and compete At These tournaments and the way that that is made possible for many players is through travel awards and stipends. So if you in a specific time frame finish as one of the top four players of your region, you earn a travel award to the internationals for that specific time frame, which and the time frame between all these internationals is from the end of one IC to the next. So it would be like this Latin American International Championships. Once it ends, right at that point, the championship meter will start ticking for the next IC, which will be Oceania. And people, you know, taking the points from Latin America. Correct? Yeah, the points from Latin America go towards Oceania. Isn't that right? And- yeah, yeah. So
1: it's like it's like as the end of any uh, end of NAIC that was the cutoff point for travel awards and stipends for LAIC. And now between NANC and LAIC, that will be the travel awards yeah, and stipends yeah, yeah. for I, we, it's OCIC, yeah, right? Yeah, we know yeah. that, that for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but the problem is uh, we don't have the confirmed travel award and stipends for players for uh, LAIC, which is coming up. We finally got the date too late, and we talked about that. But the one thing they didn't give us information on was the the stipends and travel awards, right? Which for some regions, like Australia, is a little bit easier to figure out. <laughs> but um, I have a friend who, who top aided NAIC, and they're not sure which, like, a top eight of an, NA, uh, of an IC is usually enough to get the stipend or close, but they actually don't know for sure if they have the stipend for LAIC or not. Which, if they're in top 16, they get $1,000. If yeah. they're not, they don't. And that, that's the, the difference between them going or not. So they don't know if they should book their ticket for LAIC yet or not. And Pokemon hasn't released the information and you could figure it out, right? The players could go, um, maybe someone has. They said they haven't been able to find anyone who has. I haven't done it, um, but uh, we shouldn't have to. The players, like some of the players should have to get all the results from all the tournaments, combine them and figure out the championship points for each player. We should. They have the data. Pokemon has the results of all the tournaments that count towards LAIC stipends and travel awards they should just release the list for all the regions so everyone knows who does and who doesn't have those so people can, you know, book their travel accordingly. So even though this is affecting less people in terms of, you know, deciding when to go or not based on just the dates, it's still affecting some people on whether or not they're going to be able to go. Or now if it gets too late and flights get too expensive, $1,000 might not be enough to be the difference between going or not, right?
0: Right. And on the leaderboards on the Pokemon website, in the past, like this past season and the season before, there's a section on the leaderboard for each international championship. So you can see where you stand as far as getting a potential stipend. So, for example, the no- had it for NAC. Yeah, for the North American International Championship, there was a leaderboard that kept track from uh, players' finishes from the start of the new season, you know, when we started things back up in March of this year, up until EUIC ended and so players were able to know like number one up here who got second place at EUIC Frank Persick, 400 championship points that was enough to secure him first place moving into NAIC which meant he got a uh, travel award and the top four players ended up getting travel award. top 16 of course getting a stipend Um, and you're able to track it in the past just here on the leaderboards page but if we look at the leaderboard all we see is 2022 world championships and we are still getting travel awards this year. There is a whole section about it on the international championship page, but for some reason, just this season, they've not implemented the leaderboard <laughs> on the website yet. I don't know why.
1: I mean, get yeah, that they just, it's one of those things again where they're really coming up short on the information. Um, like they came up short on the information of just when is LAIC. Now they're coming up short on the information of who has the stipend to travel or travel. So and if someone out there is hearing this and has done the math, uh, Definitely, let us know. Tweet at us. Put it in the comment section. Whatever, we'll look for it. And then, uh, I can at least, if my friend hasn't figured it out, I can at least let them know where they stand. So, yeah, if someone has done the done the numbers, some people go out of their way to do that. But that's another thing. Like, play like you shouldn't have to go out of your way to do the numbers. It should just be in the leaderboard, or they should have like released something with the. The, the numbers I haven't seen anything yet and I know um they haven't seen anything as far as up until as far as Baltimore goes so I know they don't know uh, at least in that time frame I haven't talked to them since Baltimore so they maybe know now but maybe they don't but it should have been released you know before before that so kind of yeah. sucks
0: and you should have one as well obviously since you won in AIC yeah. so um and if you haven't received an email yet I would imagine no one has received an email right yeah
1: yeah they do eventually send out emails but like that might be too late for some people, right? So you definitely want to try and book your flights probably ahead of when they – like I've already booked my flight for LAIC. I haven't got my email yet. I assume I'll be getting one eventually. But you would want to, you know, book it when the flight is cheapest, (laughs) ideally still. Right.
0: And, yeah, so that's something we hope that they make an update to very soon. But we can move on from all of this and start looking at the results from some events this past weekend, or I guess two weekends ago now at this point, there were two tournaments which took place with the Brilliant, sorry, wow, Brilliant Stars, no, the uh, Lost Origin format, so Sword and Shield through Lost Origin, with also a couple other cards that were legal that we don't have access to yet but nothing too too major Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit and let's start off by talking about the singapore regional league which took place we got the results to look at here and it was won by the lost zone box which i think undoubtedly has been the most popular new deck from this lost origin set
1: yeah definitely i think it might be the uh best deck overall just so powerful uh such a powerful deck maybe it's still Palkin and Talion, but yeah lost one box has been ridiculous yeah not surprised to like see it take it take it down uh for sure definitely the best lost one deck
0: For sure. I mean, I think some Giratina players may, you know, want to have a word with you about it. But uh, and Giratina, speaking of which, did still do pretty well. It got a top four placement as a Lost Zone box version of the deck with the comfy engine. But there was also two players who finished in the top eight that were playing Arceus Giratina, which this was a pretty popular way, I think, in Japan for people to play Giratina for a little while. Whenever it first came out, people were playing it like this. Um, because you don't have to accelerate to it with Mirage Gate. It's just kind of the combo that's meant to work together. You don't have to do it like that, though. You can just do it the good old-fashioned way with Trinity Nova. And there's actually some cool things you can do with Arceus as well, because with Giratina's attack, it just says discard two energy, or lost zone two energy. It doesn't say energy cards. So you can lost zone a double turbo uh, yeah. for for the um, Giratina's attack, which is actually pretty good and a pretty pretty reasonable
1: yeah. So that's like a really cool, like interaction. I haven't tested that build of the deck at all. Um, so I kind of have like no opinion on that one, but that is like, it definitely seems strong. We able to one KO pretty much anything relevant in the format with the Giratina is uh, pretty good. And the Arceus, of course, can't, I mean, Arceus is just good as well. Right. So just two really good Pokemon together. It's kind of like just taking cut the, cut up, cut the Pikachu for now and put in the Giratina instead. See how that goes. The next best way to play Arceus, not Inteleon deck. Um, uh, a little bit of a surprise to me, though, was that there was three Mews in top eight. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think Mew was dead or anything, but that was definitely a lot of Mew. Um, so that was a little bit unexpected. And there was no Palkia and Talion in top eight at all as well, which is another interesting point. But yeah, Mew still alive and well, I think, for sure, in the uh, in the new format. And the, the second place list was the, the, the quad DTE build.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of now, I would say, become the more popular way to play Mew. Though I would say going into a field that may or may not include Drapion, maybe the Fusion Strike build is a little bit better uh, just because you have that one prizer that you can work in that can do so much damage. Though I think this version is overall just like in a vacuum, probably a little bit more powerful just because it's more consistent and more straightforward, more streamlined, right? The uh, Fusion Strike Energy one, you know, I mean, Mew was pretty good for a long time before this quad DTE build came out, right? Um, so I don't think that that it, it necessarily is any worse. This version just seems to be pretty solid. And they did pack the one copy of Lost City in here as well, which seems to be kind of the staple now at this point.
1: Yeah, Lost City is super good in Mew. And yeah, we don't actually even know what the other builds of Mew were. Um, yeah. But it looks like there was definitely probably um, not too much drapeon i mean there was a drapeon in the winning list in the uh yeah uh, i guess one thing to mention about as well it was lost box but it was a mirage gate build there definitely is two distinct different builds of lost box right mirage gate versus no mirage gate um and that they, they did pack a drapeon but i would assume not many other decks did if uh <laughs> if the muse did this well three of them in top eight pretty big deal for sure
0: and no palkia Intellion in top eight but there was a palkia curum the new big bed v max and I think this is a card, we talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago, maybe, whenever the set first came out. This is a card that I think was like pretty heavily overlooked, but then now has become a pretty solid contender in the meta, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, it seems like it for sure. Yeah, I definitely is a card I overlooked. I still don't think it's, from what I've played with it, it doesn't seem that strong overall. I mean, obviously the Kirim is very powerful when it sets up, but setting it up and then like continue, consistently getting enough energy on it just doesn't seem to be uh i mean it just doesn't seem that powerful overall so i think it'll probably and, and it doesn't seem like there's that much you can do with the deck either for like major improvements that could come along so i think it will kind of be a tier two tier three deck throughout its its lifespan unless uh, someone comes up with a really really cool way to to play the deck but yeah definitely better than i thought it was uh was going to be overall and that is getting those placements in in uh, in tournaments and online tournaments and stuff
0: So congratulations to all the top eight finishers here in Singapore. We've, of course, also got the Champions League tournament to talk about. And this Champions League is maybe the largest player-based size Pokemon tournament ever. Maybe someone out there knows for sure if it was or not, but it has to be close. 3,166 players. Absolutely insane. You can tell that the people of Japan are very excited (laughs) that Worlds is going to be in their home country this year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I mean, it's like even more crazy when you think about it because their, their tournaments are, you could only get into their tournaments through a lottery system. So 3,166 players showed up, but I'm not sure out of how many tried to get into the tournament, right? Like if this tournament had as many people as it could, you know, it could have been like oh, 10,000. I don't even know. Like how many people are trying to get into these tournaments, right? Like we think our tournaments here in America are huge, uh, of course, but yeah, um, we don't have a lottery system for our <laughs> for our regionals, right? And it seems like we don't need one either. Like our we, like our registrations are open for a decent amount now, you know, twenty four hours or whatever. So um, we know that they uh, we're getting we get pretty close to as many players who would want to show up to our regionals, right? But uh, these terms in Japan, there's three thousand people, but they have to go through a lottery lottery system first. It would be crazy to see how many people would actually show up if they could have and as many people as would show up, right? Right.
0: And their tournament structure is definitely different than ours. I'm actually not sure what the yeah. tournament structure was for the Singapore event, but down here at the bottom of Limitless, it does say that the tournament structure was nine rounds of Swiss Day One into five rounds of Swiss Day Two. So I guess that's actually similar to ours. And then top sixteen single elim. So I guess it is I think the it was same best
1: of one though. What's that? I think they maybe I think they maybe did best of one. I don't know if I heard that right or not. Oh, or and the... that, they
0: do normally do best of one. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, but maybe best of three for top pet. I don't, me, butt, me, don't, I don't know. Uh, but top 16 single LM, which I think, you know, for a tournament that size, I'm definitely a fan of. Uh, and I wouldn't be opposed to doing top 16 single LM for um, yeah. the regionals of ours that get to that over 800 player mark, right?
1: Yeah, I I think we need something a little bit more. Either another round, like we're up to six rounds. But I think it really should be a top 16 or asymmetrical. One of the two would be fine. I think we just need something Um It definitely feels a little off.
0: But it's pretty apparent when you look at this Limitless page that Lost Origin had a pretty big impact (laughs) on the event. The first and second place deck, of course, being... One being Giratina, the other being the Lost Box deck. And this second place Lost Box deck is the one that players kind of copy-pasted and started doing really well with uh, in online events. I think Cal Connor won a late night with this same 60, just uh, the only difference being... In Japan, they have the Serena card, and we don't have that card, so Cal swapped it for a boss. (laughs) And uh, I think, I'm pretty sure that it was the same list outside of that. The triple Echoing Horn, the four Escape Ropes, um, and really relying, the main attacker being Sableye with the Lost Mine attack, which you can only use if you have 10 or more cards in the Lost Zone, and you place 12 damage counters on your opponent's Pokemon and play in any way that you like.
1: Yeah, One thing I want to mention, which... I'm just going to confirm this is actually... uh, Maybe I'm wrong on this. This was... um,
0: Information on the Uncommon Energy podcast as well.
1: Yeah, so for (laughs) Singapore regionals, uh, Pokestats tweeted out, uh, on the top eight of the Singapore regionals, also a special note, players from all divisions played each other, which means top eight cut is shared and does feature one junior player and one senior player along with six Masters players. So their regionals was uh there was no divisions for their regionals it sounds like then so a junior and a senior competing with the masters players which is definitely interesting or was there divisions and they
0: just added the first and second junior and senior is that what that means
1: i don't think so because it says players from all divisions played each other which means topic cut is shared yeah so i think it was just like one pool of players um which is interesting which is what they do in like you know like magic and stuff it is just one pool of players so um, yeah I just thought that was interesting I don't know I don't know if that's going to be their whole system over there that was this one regional or if that's how all their events are going to be ran but I just thought that was interesting and seeing that the senior senior and a junior made in top eight is also pretty cool
0: um, but outside of the lost box deck doing really well in the Champions League I mean there was a ton of them in top 16 some Giratina yep. as well there was still a ton of Palkia and Telian actually taking what one two three four five six of the top 16 spot which is a pretty huge share
1: yeah, five of them were Lost Box, six of them Palkia. So Palkia, no Palkia in Singapore, uh, three in the top eight here. So Palkia, the most dominant deck in the top eight, none in the none in the top two. Um, but yeah, Palkia is still showing, pretty much can compete, right? It seems like it can compete with uh, the Lost Box deck for sure. Um, the most interesting deck, of course, I think out of both of the top eights was Rotom. There was a Rotom deck, Rotom V, was there VMAX? We don't know because there's no deck list for the deck. Um, I haven't seen anything about it on Twitter. But there was a Rotom deck in top eight of the 3,000-person uh, tournament in Japan, which is its the first result, only result I've seen for Rotom yet. Is it a thing? Will we know? Do they have the broken list and they're not going to share it? Who knows?
0: I have not gotten <laughs> to go back and watch these streams yet. I was going to watch some of them this week, though. Um, so I'm not sure if the Rotom player got on stream, but I'm gonna say if they didn't make it on stream, that's just an absolute crime for sure.
1: Yeah, you gotta you had to have put them on at some point, right? Like that's just I mean to me that's ridiculous. Um but I also want to know what the list is so I can play it as well. So
0: (laughs) So that is definitely a cool one. And then there were still uh one Mew and one Regigigas to round out the top sixteen here. Both I think decks that people still think are pretty decent. Regigigas maybe in a little bit more questionable of a spot um but we'll talk about kind of yeah we'll talk about a little bit more of the meta and kind of how quickly the meta has been evolving this past week because it's really kind of crazy how quick things have been moving just in the span of a few days we'll talk about that though as we get into more of the peoria meta forecast but for now we'll take a quick little break from all that talk and get into everyone's favorite segment which is of course guess that flavor text where each week Azul or I picks a card and reads the flavor text to the co-host and has them try to guess what Pokemon we are talking about, what Pokemon card that flavor text comes from. There are three lifelines. If you don't use any lifelines, you get four points. You lose a point for each lifeline used, and the three lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. I kind of gave Azul one last week that I thought he'd be able to get... Didn't quite close it out, though. Let's see what he's got for me this week, though. I'm ready, Azul, if you got it.
1: I've got it. All right, Chip, here we go. It has a very tenacious nature. Its acute sense of smell lets it chase a chosen prey without ever losing track.
0: Hmm, okay. So I'm definitely thinking of something that's like a predator-type Pokemon, so something um like a fox like thievil or uh something like that potentially cute sense of smell though emphasis there so what pokemon's got a big old schnoz i can't really i mean the first one i think of there is probopass but it's definitely probopass it in hunting anything i don't think <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think
1: Provo Pass is uh, a predator. No. I'm, I'm gonna need some lifelines <laughs> here.
0: Let me let me before I use my lifelines, let me have you read the flavor text one more time.
1: Okay, here we go. Uh, it has a very tenacious nature. It's acute sense of smell lets it chase a chosen prey without ever losing track.
0: Acute sense of smell. Okay, let's go with lifeline number one. What stage the card is.
1: It is a basic.
0: Okay, so it is not thieval. um, which is what my first first thought was. Tenacious nature as well is something. So, hmm. Okay, let's have you uh, read an attack name. A basic bite. Bite. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not super helpful. <laughs> and I guess let's just use them all. I'm going to need some help here. I'm really kind of unsure of where to go with this one. What what set hey, is the card want-
1: from? Vivid Voltage. Okay. Everyone's favorite set.
0: The most competitive Sword and Shield set, without a doubt. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> I did open up a bit of Vivid Voltage. So think through the common, basic Pokemon maybe a little bit. Um... A galar Pokemon, maybe. I'm trying to th- I can't even remember. Man, that car that set is so unmemorable. It's hard <laughs> for me to, to think through what. Th- I'm this is the first time I think I've really had no true direction with where to guess. Um, I would have hoped vivid voltage would have helped me. The only card i can think of from the set right now is like charizard it's obviously not that which is like you know charmander was what i would guess but it's not it's definitely not that um i think there is a man i really i really don't know i got to guess something let's go pokemon with a big nose a cute sense of smell sandile is that Sandile. your guess? It's not Sandile, but yeah. I don't even think know if there's one in Vivid Voltage.
1: No, it is not Sandile.
0: That it is. It didn't even sound like a Sandile flavor text. I just had to guess something. What do we got? Poochiana. Poochiana. Yeah. It is a Dog. <laughs> I it thought you'd
1: be like guessing like a, a Rockruff or something. But I don't know if there's a Rockruff in Vivid Voltage.
0: I would have never gotten to and I don't think from Vivid Voltage. But I thought you were
1: maybe gonna get there. I thought you were gonna start listing off dog Pokemon or or like. Yeah, uh, I didn't you know, quite have hoxes. that thought. That's where I thought you were gonna go once you said Thievul. I was like, okay, uh, but I was gonna. I was like, I hope he ends up on Rockruff and not and <laughs> I was thinking
0: too much about a fox. I should have thought about dog Pokemon. I that that was yeah. kind of a. I wasn't anywhere close this week, not going to lie. I'm going to blame it on the lack of sleep with having a child, to be honest.
1: That's definitely fair. That's going to do it for Guess That Flavor Text. Let us know in the comment section on the YouTube channel how you guys did. What are your points at currently? How many lifelines did it take you to get to Pugiana? Or did you miss this week like Chip uh, as well? Peoria Regionals this weekend. I'm preparing for it. And uh, it's looking to be potentially the biggest regional ever. After we just had the biggest regional ever um in baltimore looks like we might go back to back which we've done before in seasons where it's just like the next regional kind of trumps the next one i don't think salt lake will trump peoria but something like dallas could definitely become the biggest later in the year uh, but that's what we're looking at right now and uh, we've had arlington what i say dallas. dallas yeah i mean it's no one called it's it is basically dallas is isn't it right there <laughs> is it's it? not far from dfw i know that oh, it's not okay. far from dfw like, i don't know
0: what the airport is to go to yeah lifetime. dfw <laughs> okay, okay. DFW. oh yeah it is like right there just kidding yeah <laughs> oh my bad <laughs> so uh, like you mentioned
1: limitless online results or, or online results in general seem to be having a big impact on the meta we just we'd had two regional two major tournaments in the format but it does definitely feels like stuff has evolved quite a bit since then
0: yeah absolutely so there's limitless tournaments happening every single night of the week P- people are always adjusting and changing their lists um and then this past weekend there was the limitless um I want to call it the right thing the limitless online tournament series event right uh yeah what is, Limit, limitless showdown there? that's right
1: yeah so they do it every month i think
0: yes and these month. tournaments are always massive Uh, This one had over 600 players in it, and tons of the best players also compete in these events. I know Stefan was tweeting Mm -hmm. playing in this one. Tord participated. Um, Alex Shemansky. Grant. uh, Grant played. Tons of great players from all across the, uh, the world, we probably don't get that many Australians and also not that many West Coasters just because of the time zone issues, which I think no matter what time you start it, you're going to run into that yeah. pretty much where someone gets a little left out. I think it starts very late for Australia and very early for West Coast, so we don't really see as many players from those time zones competing, but Europe and the East Coast and uh, Latin America, we get a pretty good amount, so... I'll just pull up the results from the event here. It was won by Mew VMAX, and it was the straightforward four double turbo energy build with really nothing new in the list except for the inclusion of Lost City.
1: Yeah, so Mew took it all down just lost city which is what we saw from the other tournaments i believe as well right like the that's kind of what
0: has become very normal uh for the Mule lists yeah. like the mu lists that are doing well currently are the no fusion strike energy builds and they are all playing one lost city it seems
1: yeah i seen a couple of two lost city um i guess yeah. one thing unique about this one is they did have the path uh roxanne combo mm-hmm. uh in there as well which you can use to shut down the uh, really, the Charizard in the late game against a Law Zone deck, you know, or if you're in like a mirror match or something, you can do some cheesy stuff with it for sure, right? Um, especially if you could just bump it on your next turn with one of your other stadiums and then get back access to your ability. So, uh, got the Path Roxanne combo in there, of course, Lost City for stuff like, uh, I mean, Roxanne is just good against a lot of things to be honest. Um, but yeah, you on top, and also the Kiram deck, another big placement, right, coming in second place. Um, and this is the list, actually, I've personally been playing a lot around. It's kind of the list that I'm like, like all right, I haven't worked too much on care. I'm just going to take this list the list I've been playing a lot. And it did have the double uh, Empoleon in there, which is kind of one of the evolutions of the meta we've been talking about. People started with one Empoleon, and it's like, all right, four Escape Rope in my Lost Zone deck, or my Lost Box deck. And they were like, all right, what about two Empoleon? And then the Lost Box decks were like, all right, what about Canceling Cologne and Path to the Peak? <laughs> and that's, like, all happened in the last, like, four days, five it's days. It's
0: crazy. It's crazy. Like... Uh, it, i think this set for the first time we're really going to see the impact of how quickly online events are going to move the meta compared to uh if this uh tournament had occurred or if if uh the Peoria Regionals was coming up in a timeline where there was no online events that ever happened the play limitless platform never got created there was no pandemic nothing ever got shut down people are just you know playing pokemon no online events whatever Um, people would be looking at the results from the Champions League in Japan and also the Singapore tournament. They would see, okay, this Lost Box deck looks pretty good. So at Peoria Regionals, people would roll up with good lists of Lost Box and also people would roll up with their Empoleon techs in their water decks, their Palkias, their Curums, whatever it may be. They might play one, they might play two, something like that. So that's probably what we would see the most of. We would maybe see a couple of people try to go that one step further with their Lost Box and have... Some answers with paths or colognes, but for the most part, we wouldn't see that. And then in this event, we would probably see Empoleon doing well. We would still see Lost Box doing well. And people would now, moving just a few weeks later to Salt Lake City, start making adjustments based off of that. And then in Salt Lake City, we might see someone pop up and do well with a Lost Box deck that has four Path to the Peak or four Canceling Cologne, like some crazy answer. But in this timeline that we're living in right now with online events, all of that that would normally have taken a month to occur has happened in three days. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so that kind of just leaves a question I think open going into to Peoria now is I think most Lost Box decks will play Cologne or Path to the Peak. Uh, the question is which one is better, right? And then maybe we'll get that answer at Peoria, right? Because like, you, you're not going to play both and the 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 bonus of playing path is that, uh, you know, it's good against Mew, good against Palkia decks, like starting down Greninja is nice, good against Kiram. Uh, but it's just off your own Charizard. So like in the late game, your opponent could just be like, all right, you can keep that path in play. And you're like, well, I can't find my vacuum and I lose now. Cause I can't use Charizard. Right. Um, both bonus of playing the, so that's the bonus of playing Cologne, right? That is that you don't shut down your own Charizard constantly, right? You're only turning off their active Pokemon's abilities. Um, But you don't get the buff of, you know, you go up against a Mew or a Greninja deck. You don't have path to kind of slow them down a little bit, right? So there's a little trade-off there, back and forth between those two. Uh, And then if you also play the Colognes, you're more likely to play a different stadium in probably Pokestop. And Pokestop can find your canceling Colognes. You have, like, more outs to find your cards that, you know, help you with Empoleon. But... It's also weird. It also gets weird because then you're like playing six cards. Like you're playing three Cologne, three stop. Whereas the path, you're just playing three path, then you get plus three spots to make whatever. But then you don't have the aggressiveness of Pokestop. So I think the question, one of the questions to also ask of that is just like, does it feel like Pokestop is necessary for the deck to function consistently? Uh, Because if it is, then you should probably go the Cologne route. But if it's not, then path might be the the winner. You could even add something like Punkaboo to be honest. That's something I've thought about. You can go like path plus Punkaboo and set relying on Vacuum. Punkaboo is probably a little bit more consistent, especially because you can also scoop up an edit. But um, that's a big question for for the uh, Lawstone decks I think now. I don't think we'll get the answer before Peoria, but so that's like the next sting in the evolution of the deck, I think for sure.
0: Yeah, which one is better? What do people go with? I I mean, in my experience playing with the deck a little bit, it's it Poka Stop is super good <laughs> in it's the deck. Good, yeah. yeah, I because mean, just to be one. able to to get a turn one, yeah. Find your VIP passes a little bit more efficiently, or just find nets. your switching cards and nets and mm-hmm. stuff to move around into more comfies. To just like stop, just lets you see so much more of the deck. Um, which is really beneficial in a deck where your supporter card lets you look at five cards as opposed to just discard your hand, draw seven, or something like that, right? Or you're not playing something like Crowbat V to see more cards. Um, So Pokestop kind of fills that spot as like an auxiliary boost to your consistency and draw power, right?
1: Which you just build up on your hand instead of, you know, moving your hand along or something like that. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Something I definitely wanted to talk about, though, from this top cut in the Limitless event was that two Gudras were in the top eight. Not the top 16, the top eight... I wouldn't have been surprised to see, like, one sneak in there, but two? Is this a is this a goo movement, Azul? Are we going to see Gudra <laughs> take over in Peoria this weekend?
1: Uh, it's definitely possible because, like, the Lost Box deck will probably be the most popular deck in the tournament, I think, um, between the couple of different variants as well. Like, you kind of, like, put them together. I guess the Mirage Gate, no Mirage Gate, whatever. Um, and it's got a pretty good matchup, like. You don't do that much damage as the Lost Box deck, but you do just enough with a couple different unique ways to do it, eventually building up into the Charizard to kind of, you know, win games, right? But uh, Gudra takes reduced AD damage, so all of your early cram damage, not really doing anything. And then when you get into your Sableye, they've got that ability that just fully heals a Gudra, right? So uh, pretty efficient attacker into the One Prize stuff. For sure. So I think that's where a lot of Guja strength comes from. Uh, And another cool part about, you know, there being two different Guja or two Guja decks in the top A's, they're both different builds as well. One was an Arceus build, uh, and the other one was the Lost Zone build. And the Arceus build actually had a lot more healing in it Crystal Caves, Hyper Potions, stuff like that. Um, Whereas the um,
0: <clears throat> the, lost the, uh, box. the other build was kind of, mm-hmm. the lost
1: box was kind of just set up multiple Gudras and start swinging. No extra healing besides its, uh, its ability. Right. So that's another question to ask what, <laughs> what is the best way to play Gudra? I have no clue personally. Um, I was using Fantinas in my first iteration of Gudra, but neither of them even had a single Fantina.
0: Yeah. And I think the first time, uh, I mean, there's definitely plenty of ways to try out the Gudra as well with, um, you know the mirage gates for the energy excel versus the arceus and i think that's kind of the question of which i think energy excel is necessary which one is better they both got top eight so little up in the air still one of the things that is cool about the limitless platform is you can go in and you can look at players matches and see what they lost to um so this uh Gudra player lost to the same the, the Gudra lost box player lost to the same person who got second place with Kieran Palkia two times. They lost to them in Swiss round 11 and in top eight. It was the same person. And then early in the tournament lost to a Giratina, but they beat two other Giratinas. So all that information is definitely stuff to look at. So Giratina seems like, you know, solid matchup. 50-50 if not better. Obviously losable as all matchups are, right? Uh, but is losing to the same Kieran player twice indicative of the matchup? Is is Kieran favored probably just against the Gudra?
1: Seems like it for sure. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I looked at the other players' uh, matches and they lost twice to the same Mew player. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe
1: the Mew matchup and the, the <laughs> Kiram matchup aren't great for Gudra, which makes sense because anything that can 1-hit KO Gudra seems like you're probably going to have a rough time. Even if they can only do it once, but Kira can do it multiple times, Mew can probably only do it once. But still, even one time when the Mew can kind of pick apart like your other two prize Vs very aggressively um, early on in the match to eventually get that 1-hit KO later, seems pretty good for Mew. And Kiram, so it kind of makes sense that uh, they came up a little bit short to both of those players, the first and second place players, you know. So, um, so Guja, good against the, anything I can want to KO, it kind of struggles against. So that's why I don't think Guja is great. But if there's enough Lost Box um, and probably Palkia and Teliyon as well, if there's enough of those decks, then I think Guja's in a pretty good spot. But it definitely is not as well-rounded of a deck as something like a Mew or a you know a Kiram overall. I don't think or Palkia and
0: Teliyon. So there's still a lot of other unique decks here. I um, mean, we see a Dialga in top four. We've got Arceus Intellion making a little bit of a resurgence in the top four as well. A Vika Volt deck in top 16. Um, gigas still in the top 32, Blissey making a resurgence as well. Uh, but moving away from play limitless and just kind of we'll talk about some of these decks a little bit more, but let's focus more now on the peoria discussion and what we think the meta is going to look like and now based on all these things happening what people are going to be playing for the event this weekend so i guess the biggest question uh to start with you know besides looking at the new decks looking at the old decks have the big two from the last format Palkia and mu have they survived have they made it are they still going to be uh really good in this format uh, I mean, it definitely
1: seems like it for sure, right? Like, we see Mew winning and right. doing very well in all of the big tournaments. Palkia, a little bit more up and down, but Palkia is so well-rounded, it maybe just needs to know what it needs to beat a little bit better to, like, tech out appropriately. Um, but still yeah, I think plenty both of them little... in
0: the, the, what, we got two in top eight or two in top nine, four in top 16 of the Limitless yeah, yeah. online, so it still did well yeah. there.
1: It's so I mean, Palkia and Mew are both so powerful. Right? It's hard to believe. Palkia will definitely, if it doesn't live on to be a tier one deck in Palkia and Talion, I'm sure it'll find a different tier one deck for it to be part of. It could be Kirim or something, right? So Palkia will be tier one, I think, no matter what. Probably Mew will as well. Um, but yeah, just, I guess the question is just, is it Palkia and Talion? And so far, it seems like it's fine. Maybe there's a better way to play Palkia, though, I guess, to still be undiscovered that makes kind of Palkia and Talion obsolete, which I could definitely see, but... Yeah, still still on the top for sure, I think.
0: And then in regards to the new set, Lost Box, the Lost Zone engine has definitely been the most talked about thing. So what is the best way right now, in your opinion, Azul, to utilize the Lost engine? Is it alongside Giratina? Is it alongside the Lost Box focused more on the Sableye? Or maybe the Lost Box with the Mirage Gate Greninja plays? Or something like Asui and Gudra?
1: I think the best one is... The Sableye build, the heavier Sableye, you know, like six basic energies or whatever. The deck is so
0: good. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think the Mirage Gate build needs a little bit better of a read on the meta because it is kind of more of a box. It, it's a more of a, it has, it has more bigger options with Mirage Gate, but you don't want to play everything, right? So I think maybe if the meta gets a little bit more defined, that's where that variant will see a little bit better of consistent success, but I think it's probably not worth playing for Peoria. I think Giratina, the argument for. I think Giratina is also not as good as the Sableye build, just kind of as raw power goes. But the argument for the Giratina build is it's less predictable and has way more options. So you don't just like fold to, you know, you go up against like a stone journey, you're never beating that as a Sableye build, right? But the Giratina build, um, not only does it have the same tricks as the uh, Sableye build, just kind of less of them, less of each of them and a little bit less consistently, but you also have the power of Giratina to kind of back you up. So you definitely are a more versatile deck, but I think overall your consistency and power is a little bit less than the, the Sableye build. So I definitely favor the Sableye build overall, but when it's being targeted, the Giratina build I think is probably comes out on top depending on the meta.
0: Yeah, I like the Giratina build a lot too. Something else, you know, obviously that's great about Limitless is you can see all the players uh, in the tournament, even the ones who didn't finish in the top 32. So Tord actually played Giratina at the Limitless online event and he finished uh, 38th, which is still, you know, solid eight and three. Um, for such a large event, definitely nothing to scoff at there. He did play Giratina, um, and looking at his match results, he did lose two games to Palkia Kirim.
1: Yeah. So that's a, that, may, that might be a rough one to make. Yeah. Kirim is just pretty good against anything that also has, or Palkia in general, I guess anything, like anything yeah. else that has two prize Pokemon, the and versatility can, of like yeah. the one of KOs and like the Greninja plays
0: and he's definitely got lots of tricks and like texts going on here um you know is playing the radiant greninja with the water energies and i think that is pretty common it feels like in the Giratina yeah. box versions of the deck also has the drapeon v in here which i think drapeon is a card that if you have a 50 50 or worse to Mew v max with whatever deck you want to play without drapeon I think Drapion is an easy include in your deck. And honestly, maybe if your matchup is like fifty-five forty-five, 45 Drapion might still be worth playing because it's really good against Palkia and Telian as well if they put a bunch of Shabbles in play and you're playing Basic Energy and Choice Belt. You can get some cute plays going there. Um, Drapion, we talked about it when it got released. Kind of just a dumb card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's really strong. Uh, Azul, do you think that It's worth playing for certain decks this weekend. I do. I,
1: but like you want to be careful though, because if it if it doesn't actually make it doesn't actually make the matchup winnable, I wouldn't play it. Like remember when everyone was putting Maltrice V in all their decks to beat Mew and it did absolutely nothing. Um, This isn't quite the same thing because Drapion is so much easier to fit into your deck. Plop but it, it down on the bench.
0: You... Die, Mew. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> if like... it
1: doesn't actually give you a winning matchup, I still wouldn't play it. But if it turns out a from a 50-50 or from a losing matchup to a winning matchup, then I would definitely play it, right? So definitely got to test with it. Make sure it works how you want it to work and does what it's supposed to do. And you're not just being like, oh, this one it KOs Mew and then you do it and then they go Lost City KO it and then they just win the price rate anyways, right? So you got to make sure it actually does it. And if you did play two that's probably enough to beat any Mew. So if you really want to go way to play two cards that are pretty much dead in every other matchup just to beat Mew, <laughs> um, because it'll, you think it'll help your win percentage overall that much, then that's definitely something you could do as well, right? You could go to two Drapion. But yeah, Drapion, yeah. super good this, this weekend, I think, overall for most decks. Like, most decks can pretty easily include it. But make sure you're you're not already beating Mew already, or even with it, you won't beat Mew, as well do the testing right don't just be like ah here's a drapeon like everyone's like oh i got two v in my deck and Mew is like i don't care i still win right so don't just like waste your win percentage uh, overall you don't want to hurt your win percentage overall by adding a bad card like that sure um
0: and i do think the Drapion's success as well will be dependent on which version of Mew is more popular i do still think that the straight you know for double turbo energy no fusion strike energy version of Mew will be more popular i think it will probably do decent enough this weekend but i wouldn't be surprised to see some people show up with the fusion strike build and do decently there because it is still obviously strong and it does not do as poorly into drapeon like we mentioned earlier because you've got a one prizer that can do solid damage
1: yeah, I don't know how much it changes things, though, to be honest, because, like, if you attack with Malabuda early, it's just, like, an easy knockout for, like, anything. But, yeah, they can just attack
0: then... with something that's not Drapion. That is true. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I don't actually know how much that changes your prize trade, to be honest, because it's just, like, it, just, like kinda, it might just slow things down for a turn, right? So yeah, I don't know how much, how much cool. that would actually help. Uh, I definitely think the DTE version is the better version of Mew, so um, it would just kind of come down to if that makes that big of a difference going up against a Drapion is having the... The Meloetta around.
0: One card Um, I wanted to ask you about while we're talking about Lost Box still a little bit is the new Snorlax. So this is a card that some people are playing, some people are not. Um, It seems, you know, if you look at it just kind of at first glance, it would seem kind of unassuming, not that great. It's a basic Pokemon, 150 hit points. Thumping Snore for three colorless. It does deal 180 damage, but this Pokemon is now asleep during Pokemon checkup. Flip two coins instead of one. If either of them is tails, this Pokemon is still (laughs) asleep. So I think most of the time people would just look at this and be like, Oh yeah, I mean it's just kind of like a little gimmicky of a card. Um I guess its ability is also relevant as well. Prevent all effects of attacks from your opponent's Pokemon done to this Pokemon. And placing damage counters with Lost Mine on Sableye, that isn't the effect of an attack. So you cannot Sable Eye onto a Snorlax, which is very, very relevant.
1: Yeah, I mean, there will probably be other targets for the Sableye to focus. I actually think the Starx sure, sure, is pretty sure. good if you're playing Mirage Gate because it just, the numbers just line up really well to like combo with Cramorant for like a two-way KO. Because like back-to-back Crams is only 220 damage, which just isn't very much. Uh, but back-to-back Cramorant Snor- into Snorlax is 290, right? Um, so it's just two-way KOs, any Vs in the format, which is nice. You could hit a V and then clean it up with Sableye as well. So I think it just like, it looks like a bad card, but it just like, just fits that niche situation uh very well for for mirage gate decks to combo with cram or combo stabilize whatever just like hitting for 180 just guarantees a two-hit ko where like back-to-back crams can't quite do that so you don't want to commit like a hit with a cram rent into a hit with Garatina to do 280 on the next turn and be like, well, I kind of just like wasted an attack, right? Or put a two prizer in my active and put a bunch of energy on it just for it to not get a KO, right? So. And the the sleep um, clause
0: is not too big of a deal on this card either because these decks play so many switching cards, right? Yeah, yeah. or you're that probably too. getting knocked out. Yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> one that of the true. two.
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think Tonox is, is pretty cool actually in the Mirage Gate decks. It just it just fits the role. It just seems weird, but it just it just works. It's one of those things. What about some of the uh, older archetypes? We kind of talked about this a little bit at uh, for Baltimore regionals as well. Like one of the decks that we both talked about a little bit was like Arc Intel. Um, would it make a comeback at Baltimore? Which uh, one did get top 16. Adler got top 16 with Arc Inteleon. And we've been seeing it pop up a little bit more recently, especially in this Limitless tournament. Um, I don't know if it's quite good enough to get there. It's really good against the Lost Box decks. Once again, it's kind of a tanky healing deck, which is just kind of good against... Lost box, tanky, healy, good against lost box, but it does still feel like it comes up short to some of the, the heavier hitters, the Kirums, the Muse, uh, etc.
0: Yeah, I think that in the end of this last format, Arc Intel ended up not being as good because of how popular Mew Max was with the 4DT. Yep. And that, that's a pretty bad matchup, it feels like. Like you've got your Roxanne Path and Prey strat. Um, but if that doesn't pull off, like it is very easy for that version of U V Max to hit 280 two times and then just find one boss's order's KO, right? Yeah. Um what the benefit of current Arc Intel is from the new set, uh the the big card to me that they got from Lost Origin is the Radiant Gardevoir with the mm-hmm. loving veil. All of your Pokemon take twenty less damage from attacks from your opponent's Pokemon V, which is super crucial in the Mew matchup because it makes them have one more damage modifier in order to KO you, and if you get a big charm, that's one more damage modifier for them to KO you. Suddenly KOing two Arceus V-Stars becomes really hard for the Mew V-Max deck.
1: Yeah. Also, Garantino as well hits 280. Yes. No one plays Choice Belt. 280 minus 20, 260, you're not KOing the Arceus. Uh, even if they, even if you play the choice belt, then if they have the big charm, you also need a vacuum. So like, it really makes it hard and you really don't want to play choice belt and Giratina. It's basically useless in like every single, in most, uh, most all situations. Right. So like, you don't really want to play that card. Um, so yeah, the guard war really does keep you out of range in a lot of scenarios against the, the heavy hitters. I just don't know if it's enough. And also Kiram's another one as well, I guess, right. Where you could force them to have, I did the math, right. I guess the choice belt or the guard for plus the choice mm-hmm. weapons, they need one more energy i think
0: yeah. 270
1: yeah it would keep you out of range of their choice belt i guess if you had a big charm and then that extra energy would keep you out of range with the guard for so and another yeah, card a that, heavy
0: another card that this person who got top four played was the lake acuity as well which i think is okay i would probably still lean more towards path one of the awkward things about path of course is the fact that you shut off your own radiant gardevoir mm-hmm.
1: so that, yeah. that
0: does make things a little interesting about when you want to put it in play um but so having like an off stadium to use is still nice i feel like um and maybe lake acuity is just the best one to slot in right there Do you have a thoughts there as well
1: yeah, Collapse Stadium might still be better, but Lake is, Lake is probably fine. There's probably a decent amount of situations. where There's not that many Stadiums and too many decks right now, so you could get it to stick in a lot of scenarios, I think, towards the late game, um, getting an, another reduced 20 damage on your on your Arceus. <laughs> and also, I guess another thing, cool thing to mention, um, and this, this Sobble meta has come around before, but the 70 HP Sobbles are coming back, uh, especially in Arc it makes a lot of sense. You don't really want to ever attach to... You don't want to even keep calling. You always want to attach your Arceus turn one. Um, and we've seen, I've even seen people talking about doing it with uh, the, what's it called decks as well? The Arc Intel deck, or the Palkia Intel decks as well. Like, do you go to 70 HP Sabbles? I think a little bit less good in those decks because Keep Calling is so much better in the Palkia deck. But um, I could see it, I could see it coming around to that. And last time we had this one, Dragapult, was a super Dragapult VMAX is super popular. That's five damage counters to a bench Pokemon. With a Goon Ping, that's six. Uh, pretty easy to pull off turn two, to be honest. So you KO in Sabbles and people are going up to set the 70 HP Sabbles to kind of protect from that scenario. So we're seeing the Sobble the meta uh, kind of creep back <laughs> in here with uh, Sabilize, uh Pings in the Lost Box deck, which is kind of funny.
0: Um, all right, so other new decks to talk about. Kiram and Gudra. Which one of the two... Those seem to be kind of the two. I think like everyone recognizes Guillotine is pretty good. Everyone recognizes Lost Box is pretty good. So between Kiram and Gudra, which of the two new decks there do you think uh, will finish higher in Peoria this weekend? Online events uh, would probably lean towards the Kurum, but we did yeah. see the two Gudras here. Do you think someone could come up with the spice? I think probably Kurum.
1: I think Gudra could get better when the meta becomes a little bit more stabilized and it figures out which heavy hitting decks does Gujar need to deal with and how can I potentially deal with some of them? We'll probably still take an auto losses, the other ones, but like got to figure out which ones you need to be able to prepare, be prepared for first. Um, and how can you deal with it? Maybe at least one of them. Right.
0: Yeah. Gujar um, will definitely th- benefit from a more centralized meta for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe it just has to, maybe there, there won't be an answer to that. Then maybe it just needs to be a, a meta where heavy hitting decks just don't really exist. I could see that happening as well, where it's like, right. Well, Gudger is not good until the meta comes around for it. Um, So that could happen as well. But I think, yeah, once we see... It needs a little bit more of a stable meta, whereas Kirim is a lot more versatile in what it can deal with and what needs to deal with it. So I think Kirim will definitely see... Most likely will be the the higher placing of the the two decks, for sure.
0: And then one Um, other new deck to mention is definitely the Hisuian Zoark V-Star. One of them did finish in the uh, top 32 of the Limitless event, which was the top cut. mm -hmm. It was like an asymmetrical top 16 cut. Um and that was kind of the way that you've seen it, you know, be played most of the time with the Bibarel, the Gengar. Uh seems like it's the kind of way to go. This player did include two copies of Empoleon V and Basic Water Energies, which is kind of wild. <laughs> um but where yeah, where do you think uh Hasuian Gudra Wow, well, Hisuian Gudra, Hisuian Zork V Star is standing right now, Azul. So Zork
1: is, is a another like heavy hitter. But that's, like, all it can do is hit heavy. Um, and I think, unfortunately, for Zorak, its HP is, like, really low at the 270. If it had a little bit more HP, I actually think it would be good to combo with, like, Charon's Care. Um, but the problem it kind of runs into in the Lost Zone matchup, or the Lost Box matchup, is that they can put enough prize cards together that when they get to the late game, they can just go Charizard, Charizard, and just KO two Zoraks back-to-back pretty easily. Because that 270, when you're damaging yourself with Draw uh, Bog to actually be able to do enough damage to KO anything uh it just makes it really awkward um but if you're going up against like just muse and just kirims i actually think Zorak is really really good i think it's like favored it's like the best of the heavy hitters like when the heavy hitters go up against each other Zorak comes out on top but there's too many non-heavy hitters in the meta yeah. to to kind of do that right now and your paul and talion matchup is pretty close or, or slightly unfavorable as well because like the custom ca- or the cross switcher so they can get around your uh diancy but um yeah that's kind of the problem the problem is like your lost box matchup is pretty rough because of charizard like damage on yourself already
0: i wonder if maybe this way that this person played the deck uh would you know make that better right we've got the two empoleon v in here four water energy two melanie so yeah they're trying to attack with empoleon pretty quickly i actually have not played any games with this list at all yet um but they did do pretty well against Lost Box. They lost to one Lost Box. They lost to a Giratina. But then they beat one, two, three, four, five Lost Box decks through the rest of their tournament.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I would say yeah. I mean, the, that definitely would help your Lost Box matchup quite a bit. But I don't know if if it's worth it at the expense of your consistency up against those other heavy hitting decks. Right. That's a lot of cards to add that don't allow your Zork to attack for big damage, right? And now that we've seen the evolution of Lost Box adding, you know, paths and colognes and stuff, um, I'm sure those texts will not be as efficient as they uh as they were, right? The double employment will just won't be as good anymore.
0: Something so. to know too, I guess, uh worth mentioning is that if you put two basic water energies on your Zoe you now cap out at three thirty, right? Which lets you Oko yeah. Mew with an Oracore in sure. play, lets you oko cure 'em. So that's, you know, not a bad thing either, which is not something that most lists could do previously.
1: Well, no, you had the Halucha. Halucha got you there for Oh, that. for the cure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's a good point, Hulucha's, never uh, Yeah, Hulucha's yeah. Which is the a homie. Looks one I guess. Yeah, so I was saying like Dork win. I think Dork wins the the big beat down battle most of the time. But yeah, you mean, like the lost the lost walk is rough. Yeah, the Empoleon's like can help. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know if everyone is has. I'm sure some of the. The list they put against and it have, you know, the Path and the Cologne. But if everyone has Path and Cologne, I think it gets a little bit more difficult. Because you don't need Cologne or Path every single turn. You just need to get going as Lost Box, and then, then you'll usually be fine. But you need to get going initially to begin with.
0: So are we at a point in the meta where it's developed right now, where if you're wanting to play a water deck this weekend, be it Curum or Palkia, whatever it may be, um, do you just anticipate the lost boxes having the answers and you don't worry about playing the one Empoleon, the two Empoleon, whatever it might be, uh, and just worry about your consistency first and foremost? Or is Empoleon still worth playing? That's a tough
1: question, to be honest. Because I think if you do play Empoleon, you'd want to play. I think most, like I said, I think most lost, lost bo- most lost boxes will adapt and start to play the pass and the colognes. But I don't know how that fully breaks down yet. I've tested it a little bit so far. Um, and you don't just beat Empoleon, like them just opening Empoleon or getting Empoleon on the active turn one is still really, really tough to deal with sometimes. So um, it's something to be tested, I'm sure that's what a lot of people are testing right now, is um, it definitely seems like you, if, if the double Empoleon meta is expected, then you need to play Cologne or Path. And then for the Empoleon players, it now becomes, okay, if that just beats us, what is a different way we can beat this deck? Should we just play different decks? Because if we're just losing to Lost Box, if our Empoleons are useless, uh, then you either need to come up with a new tech, but if you can't, you need to switch decks, right? Um, so that's what everyone's going to be testing this week, I think for sure. And I think the Lost Boxes... Uh, we'll probably have to keep the colognes in the path, especially if it doesn't beat it. You know, if that doesn't just auto-win the matchup all of a sudden, you gotta keep gotta keep them. And then that means also if the double empoleon still gives you a decent win percentage against those even if they got the paths and colognes, then you kind of just go head to head and just see how it goes. And no one really has the advantage at that point, right? And that's what the kind of the evolution of meta became. No one has an advantage, right? That they got their paths or colognes and you got your double empoleon and now we get a fair fight, right?
0: And then one I guess one last thing we should mention. So two big decks from the last format that we haven't really talked about and I think are probably going to have a harder time is going to be the Arceus Pikachu, uh, or Arceus Bibro with the the Flying Pikachu, Decidueye, whatever other pieces you want to put in there. Uh, and then also Mewtwo v Union. I think both of those decks are kind of going to have a hard time in this current meta. Mewtwo specifically, because Giratina, I mean, doing 280, uh, though you do have to loss zone your energies... Uh, it's, it's a lot for, for Mewtwo to deal with. I mean, we saw in your stream game how dealing with just the 220 every single turn uh, became a little sketchy, right, with the 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 or sorry the, uh, yeah. the Duraludon matchup there. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? As someone who played um, uh, both of these decks to success, what do you, where do you think they're at right now with the way the meta has changed with the new set?
1: Um, I think yeah, the Giratina is tough for Mewtwo to union. That's really the only thing that's really tough for it though, I think, out of the new stuff.
0: Yeah, Lost Box uh, is probably a solid matchup, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do very much 12.
0: 12. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then even like Miltank plus Path kind of beats Kiram as well. Like even though they have the Empoleons, you just play more stadiums. Like you could go up to like three Miltank Four Path if you wanted to to beat that matchup. Uh to deal with Empoleon in general. So you have that. But some decks playing Drapion with Gates. And then Giratina, I think for Peoria, Mewtwo Union's got to sit it out and see where the meta goes after Peoria. Um, it could make a comeback, possibly, but I think it currently has to sit out the meta again. Because, like, Gates plus Drapion, it's, like, impossible to beat. Drapion, with any form of, like, extra energy to it, is, like, not good. You can't beat
0: it. Um, I mean, and I, I guess like also, a... like, Giratina having Lost Vacuum, right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is really bad. Because they just go yeah. Lost Vacuum away the Parasol and then kill you with Star Requiem.
1: Well, you have your ability. You have your ability that's. Oh,
0: you're attack. right. Yeah, so they right would I have said, to go. Yeah, path. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, they would have to play Path to begin with. Yeah. so um, But them doing 280 is too much to deal with, anyways. Like you just can't beat 280, and Miltank doesn't stop them because they have Cramorant. So, yeah, yeah. Giratina is not really beatable. Uh, Drapion with energy. They, they, sometimes you can just build up enough energy on a Drapion to swing, anyways, and that's not beatable. So, there's just too many things that I think too tough for that. But I think. Well, I mean, Arceus B-Barrel, I think Arceus B-Barrel is kind of the deck, and the, you evolve it based on what the meta is, and that's what Arceus Garatina is. It usually has B-Barrel in it, right? Sure. sure. So Arceus B-Barrel has just become Arceus B-Barrel Garatina. That deck, we haven't seen a ton of success from it. There has been there was at Singapore, but um, since then, we haven't seen anything from it, really. And I haven't played with the deck myself, so I don't really have too strong of an opinion. But I think Arceus B-Barrel will probably survive in some form, and it could be Garatina. But definitely feels like a deck where the meta needs to stabilize a little bit, because you... Really want to hone in on what are you playing this? What are you playing those two cards with? And the past, we talked with just Crowback V Max because that's all you really needed, uh, and then we it evolved to the Flying Pikachu, and now it's Giratina currently. But I think it could, it'll definitely be good. It just depends. We just need to figure out what's the best partner for it. I think the meta is a little bit too open to make that call yet.
0: I do have to say I love the fact that this new set has had such a big impact on the meta. Uh, like it, it, this is my favorite time. My, my favorite part of Pokemon is the new sets and the innovation and the, the new decks that come up and also the old decks that have new life breathed into them. Uh, but just looking at the Limitless decks, like the most played decks in tournaments over the... And part of this is probably the shiny new thing, right? Um, but Mew and Palkia are still up here at four and five. But then the other top seven decks are all brand new archetypes. Lost Zone Box, Giratina... Kiram Palkia, and then at four and five, we've got Palkia, Telian and Mew, and then six is Hisuian Zorak, seven is Hisuian Gudra, and I think that is just awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely cool to see so many new decks being good, and I think the biggest thing uh, for sure is none of them feel uh, overpowering, right? Like in the past, it was like, oh, Palkia came out, Palkia, Intellion's broken. Mew came out, Mew's broken. ADP came out, ADP's broken, right? It's like you got this Kiram. Lostbox, Giratina, Gudra, zorak they all feel like just reasonable Pokemon decks, right? Like, Lostbox, I think, feels the strongest out of all of them. Uh, but there has to be, you know, something better than the rest, right? And especially because it is the best new deck it's going to be the most popular to start with, right? But it doesn't feel overwhelmingly strong, right? So that's really cool to see. So yeah, definitely really cool to see how it feels like a healthy uh, improvement on the meta, for sure.
0: For sure. And I think that is going to wrap the episode up. This week, Thank you so much to everyone for listening, for tuning in. Be sure to leave a like on the YouTube video if you enjoyed. And please leave us a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. It really does help us out so much. And it only takes just a second or two. If you want to follow along with us, you can do that on social media. is the easiest way to do it. You can follow myself at Trainer Chip. Azul is at Azul underscore GG. And you can also follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy over on Twitter is really kind of the the main platform for us to uh, to interact with everyone. So thank you all so much for listening. Azul, anything else to add before we close it out?
1: Thank, thanks a ton for the support as always. Uh, good luck to anyone going to, I believe Peoria is the only tournament this weekend. I right? think it's so, the only yes. One. So good luck to anyone going to Peoria. We maybe missed one if possible, <laughs> but good luck to anyone going to Peoria. And we'll catch you all uh, next Tuesday at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.
0: Uh, actually, next week will be Wednesday, right? Uh, Wednesday. Actually. Yes. Wednesday <laughs> confirmed.
1: We will let you guys know ahead of time. We're not just going to drop it uh, a day late. We will be a day late next week. Yeah, Catch y'all Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern, then going back to Tuesday after next week. <laughs> See you then. Peace.